Namaste. Continuing our series of prayers and meditation, I wish to read today a very, very beautiful prayer. All prayers are beautiful. All are profound meditations. And this particular one is very, very suited also to what we are all going through as a humanity these days. This is a prayer dated August 17, 1913. <clears throat> August 17, 1913. O Lord, Master of our life, let us soar up high, very high, far above all care of the preservation of the body. So she is addressing the divine as the master of our life. See, if we just, this one word, who is the master of our life? Not, not us, not some forces of nature, not some tiny organism, not even destiny, but the divine himself is the master of our life. And if he is the master of our life, why should we worry? Why should any condition of the body be a cause of fear and anxiety for us? Nothing can be more humiliating, nothing more depressing than these thoughts turned always towards the preservation of the body. This preoccupation with health, with our subsistence, with the framework of our life. Much later, in 1929, this is a very interesting um, talk of the mother, conversation of the mother, where she speaks of the ordinary soul and the true life. And she says that the ordinary life of humanity, how to mark the distinction? The ordinary life is too much preoccupied with the conservation of the bodily self. See that uh, with food, with outer health uh, and all the time our life is busy thinking that the body is the self. You know, we have the story in one of the Puranas as the legend goes that Virochana and Indra both go to Lord Brahma to know what is self. So he says that, well, look into my eyes and see yourself. So they look into the eye and they come back. So both see their own reflection. So the reflection of the body. And Virochana goes back and says, well, uh, it means the body is the self. So we have to look after body, make it strong, make it healthy, uh, make it full of vitality, energetic and all that we can do for the body. For body is the self. But Indra meditates and wonders that body is something perishable. But we are told that the self is imperishable, it is immutable so he goes back and Brahma tells him ki well you have done my child, yes you are right body is only one aspect of one of the selves, not the true self but one of the selves we carry, it is one reality, so then he looks again into his uh, Brahma's eyes and goes back 
and he thinks that this energy, life energy which moves this world, that is the self. So that is how some people think they are living all the time preoccupied with their desires, how they can satisfy their countless desires, how they can have more pleasure and they are very unhappy when you know, these opportunities to enjoy life as it is called. Uh, what we call as pleasure of whether it be the palate, the food or various different kind that is taken away from us. So, Again, Indra comes back and says that pleasure is so illusory, so transient, it cannot be that. And again, he goes back and discovers that, no, it is the thought. Then again, he comes back and says that thought is ever-changing. So eventually, it seems that several times he goes, some scriptures say that 108 times or some say uh, three times, but that's not relevant. He keeps on digging deeper and deeper to discover the true self, which is the source of immutable peace, and vitality and uh, sweetness and joy in us. The beauty is that when we discover it, it also lends health of the body. When you know, mother says in one of the beautiful advice to the newcomers, she says that when people come to this place, they come with the psychic in the forefront. Because their psychic is in forefront, they are full of optimism, they find everything good, the food is wonderful and their body is full of health and vigor. And their uh, mind uh, is wide, the understanding is luminous, the life is forceful, energetic. But after some time, they begin to fall into the old ways. Nature takes over, the old animal nature. And so all the usual things start, which is there in ordinary life. But then she gives us, what is the remedy? She says, the remedy is to go back and find the psychic being. To live in it, to live with it, to live by it. So one of the things for that is we should not be preoccupied too much with the health, sustenance, the framework of life. That's why in the ashram she took away the framework of life. She said, I am going to provide for you the basic necessity. Now give your life to consecration to the divine, at least the discovery of the divine. So this is what she is reminding that it is ignoble, it is humiliating. Imagine an animal runs all the time. Even an animal does not run all the time just for the bodily needs. Somewhere it has trust instinctively that nature will provide. But we are all the time running from moment to moment either in pursuit of pleasure or for maintaining the framework of our bodily and outer life. So she says this preoccupation with health, these thoughts turn towards the preservation of the body and this framework of life is both humiliating and depressing. So it creates misery. Even if there is no problem, it is it makes life miserable because we make our consciousness very small and narrow and limited and it is this which is the source of misery. How trivial are those things? How trivial are these things? A thin smoke dissolved by a simple breath, vanishing like mirage before a single thought turned towards thee. How to dispel all these thoughts? By all these kind of preoccupations by simply turning our thoughts towards the divine. It may be difficult for people to meditate and contemplate all the time, but we can at least read something. We can at least pick up an idea and try to explore that. We have computers. Let us, if nothing else, read uh, what different uh, great ones, luminous ones, great masters have thought about life, about health, about challenges, about goal of life. So our life will slowly uh, begin to take a new shape. But if we can directly turn our thought towards the divine, then all this vanishes like a thin smoke. And then she prays for all of us. Liberate those who live in this slavery. We are not slaves if we are in a prison. 
we are not enslaved because we are in a lockdown situation we don't become slave because we are working for a salary under someone people think that they are slaves just because they are earning through a job no we are slaves of our own nature as the gita puts it atmevatmano bandhu atmanev ripuratmana our self is the friend of the self and the self is the enemy of the self when the self the mind which in which we identified helps becomes a help towards the spiritual self its discovery its expression then it's a friend but when it's opposed to it by creating doubts fears all kinds of distressing situation when it is turned outward and downward towards base things mean things crude things when it is preoccupied with the body and the superficial existence then it becomes an enemy liberate those who live in this slavery even as those who live in slavery to their passions so we cannot control our we are rushing with our desires we are rushing to satisfy this pleasure or that pleasure now it is a beautiful opportunity if you look at it because this uh, so called adversary is actually blessing in disguise it is showing us what, where were we really rushing what are the things that are really necessary in life do we really need to run from morning till night Uh, towards these things how much do we really need for our existence and all this will become clear these obstacles on the path that lead towards the what are the obstacles preoccupation with the uh, bodily its preservation and uh, this slavery to passions and slavery to um, you know uh, physical existence so this is the kind of Uh, big obstacle on the path so she prays for us and she observes these obstacles on the path that lead towards the are at once terrible and puerile so the real obstacle is within us it is not something outside as she says in one of the prayers earlier prayers that it is within us that all the obstacle lies it has nothing to do with the circumstances we may be in the best of circumstances right near god and yet our thoughts may be preoccupied with our bodily existence so this is slavery and an obstacle she says they are at once terrible and puerile terrible to those who are still subjected to them puerile to one who has passed beyond them so they can be terrible bondages were difficult for people to get rid of them when they are subjected but for somebody who has gone beyond he looks upon these things as childish they are childish preoccupations we spend a whole lifetime running after these things childishly how inexpressible is the utter sense of relief the delicious lightness we feel look at the qualification how she qualifies the word lightness delicious it even tastes sweet we are filled with Uh, sweetness of the divine and the lightness when we are disembarrassed of all this anxious care for ourselves disembarrassed it's embarrassing humiliating distressing miserable to be all the time worried and concerned only about our own little preservation when if you really look at the earth even from the magnitude of the vastness of this universe we are just a dot one little speck this earth is just a little dot and we are worried about self preservation so we are released from it for our life for our health for our satisfactions and even for our progress any thought 
that concerns ourselves. That's why at another place mother says that if you think only about yourself, your life will be miserable. It doesn't matter. Outwardly it may look good. But if we are thinking about ourselves, a rich man, the moment he thinks about his wealth, he worries. What will happen to this wealth? It should not be lost. It should multiply. My children should not destroy it. So again he begins to be worried even if he have more than, much more than enough. So to think of oneself, if one looks at one's relationships, one starts debating and discussing, oh, I love so and so, this person does not love me, I do this for so and so, this person does not return. So life begins to become miserable. If you think about a life, oh, I have achieved so much, oh, I have yet to achieve so much. So even if somebody has achieved a lot in life, outwardly, so to say, one is again miserable because this ambition, passions, oh, I have had this pleasure, I want this other pleasure. You know, people make bucket list that they would go to Disneyland one day and go here and go there. Now, it is all the time creating dissatisfactions in life. And then she says, how inexpressible is the utter sense of relief, the delicious lightness we feel when we are disembarrassed of all this anxious care for ourselves, for our life, for our health, for our satisfactions and even for our progress, even progress. How much I have progressed? Did I have this experience? Oh, I have spent so many years, I am meditating, how much I have progressed as, you know, that famous story of the two sadhakas and Narada is going by and they ask Narada, Please ask the Lord, you have a hotline with him. How long will it take before we achieve that godlike state? And he says, sure, and comes back. And to the jnani he says, you will take three more lives. And he gives up and he is dissatisfied. And he says, three more lives? Oh my God. And he walks away, he says, okay, three more lives. Then I'll think about sadhana in maybe another life or next to next life. And to the bhakta he says, do you see how many... How many leaves are there on the tree? He says, countless. He says, after so many lies, you will realize God. And he begins to jump and dance in joy. Oh, my Hari has promised that he will come. He will come. Doesn't matter after how many lives he will come. And as he dances in ecstasy, joy, that with the assurance of the Lord, the Lord appears. And he says, here I come. Because in that ecstasy and joy, that faith, that aspiration, it called me, uh, right away and so the whole period of time was compressed the story told by Sri Ramakrishna has been further um, you know some of the stories have been retold by Shurabindo and Shurabindo and the mother both have testified that this story is really very true so we should not be worried even about our progress so what we should do we should just do what we have to do whatever we are called upon to do leaving everything in the Lord's hands this relief, this liberation thou hast granted to me. He will take care of our health, of our life, of our destiny, about whatever we need materially, of about our spiritual progress. This is the path those who have gone before us, they have shown. This relief, this liberation thou hast granted to me. O oh, Divine Master, life of my life, light of my light. So you who are the origin of all my intelligence, you who are the breath of my life, by whose force I live, so you have granted me this liberation. 
see the story of Amrita on his birthday when the Divine Mother asked him, uh, what do you want, Amrita? And he is silent. And again she asks, and again she asks. She says, I can give you liberation, transformation, whatever you ask. After much contemplation, much cajoling, he says, Mother, I want to banyans. And everybody laughs. Fool, Mother was granting you liberation and you asked for banyans. He says, no, no, that is her play. You don't understand. What do you mean? She says, that anyway she will grant when she thinks I am ready. Why should I worry about it? So, you ask two banyans? He says, no, because she is insisting. Now, she is asking me to ask and I must obey her orders. So, I express to her what I need. What a wonderful relief. So, what was Amrita preoccupied with? All the time with her work, with her love, with her service. And that's why he had the unique distinction. Mother spoke about him when he left the body. There was one and only manager of the ashram. It is Amrita. There is never one before him and there will never be one in the days to come. All his life, till his last moments, he was preoccupied with loving her and serving her. So this is the liberation given to those who lead their life like this. And she says that you have granted me this liberation. Thou, whoever teachest me the lesson of love, And has made me know the reason of my existence. So once we know what is the aim of our life, how does everything else matter? Things may come and go. We have to just move steadily towards that. How beautifully we have that line in Savitri, when Savitri sits to discover the psychic being, which she says is the first indispensable necessity. You see, it's so beautiful. In this lockdown period, we can take this as all that in the next one month, one week maybe, Maybe a few days we are going to discover the psychic being. So beautifully she says, Obedient to a high command she sat, Time, life and death were passing incidents, Obstructing with their view her sight. So this, we should not be preoccupied with all this, you know, that is happening outside. It's alright to be aware, but it's not alright to be obsessed and possessed by it. And then comes... Something very, very beautiful. So when we live like that, what our life becomes and how we should live. She is teaching us the way. It is thou who livest in me and thou alone. And why should I be preoccupied with myself and what may happen to me? What a wonderful liberation. What a glorious grand trunk road of freedom from all care and preoccupation. If once I have handed over my life to the divine, then it is up to him. My destiny is no more ours. Does a slave keep questioning the master that, what are you going to give me this month or the next month? The day the master says, okay, now you are on wages. That means he is no more a slave. He does a work and he gets a salary. Which means he can tomorrow even be removed from that. But when we are a slave, that means we are tied forever to the master and the master who decides, the divine who decides what may happen to us. Without the beautiful reflection, thought for contemplation, she gives us, without the, the dust constituting this body which is striving to manifest thee would be dispersed, shapeless and inconscient. Without the this sensibility which opens to us a relation with all these other centers of manifestation would vanish in an obscure inertia. 
This should be the basis of relation. This should be the purpose of the body as an instrument to manifest the divine. The purpose of relations, he speaks of relation as other centers of manifestation. They are not relations which are meant to satisfy our own egoistic pleasure for possessiveness, for uh, all kinds of jealousies and things which come in us. They are equally centers of manifestation of the divine and if we have come in contact with these uh, people in our lives, uh, we should help each other grow towards this great divine realization. So she says, but without thee, all this is meaningless. Our outer life is meaningless. Wealth is meaningless. This body is meaningless. And all our relationships are without any sense or purpose. Without thee, this thought which animates and throws its light on the synthesis would be diffuse, toneless, unrealized. So we may, without realizing the divine, all thinking, philosophy, opinions, viewpoints, are absurd and meaningless, they end up in a cul-de-sac from where we have no exit further. It's a blind sack in which we enter. Without thee, this sublime love which vivifies, which coordinates, which animates and gives a warmth to all would remain an unawakened possibility. So without the divine, love does not awaken. Humanity suffers from this lack of love or rather we love only our little bodily self or we love our little vital self and its joys and we have forgotten that true love which vivifies, which gives us life, hope, strength, joy and everything else, beatitude. But without the divine touch, this love will not even awaken truly within us. Without thee, all is inert, brute or inconscient. Thou art all that illumines and enchants us. Our sole reason for existing and our whole aim. No more preoccupations with all these things that are happening around us. Our preoccupation, not only, not even with those things which are happening within us. We get preoccupied and obsessed with, oh I am full of fear, I am full of anxieties. No. The sole preoccupation should be with the divine. How much I have come near, how much nearer I can come. That too not in the sense of monitoring our progress, but rather how much I have given myself to the divine and how much I have still kept with myself. We'll read that in, you know, today in Shurbindu Prasang, the Hindi talks on Shurbindu's life. Is that not enough to cure us of all personal thoughts? And to make us unfurl our wings and soar above the contingencies of the material life. So that we can fly up into thy divine atmosphere. With the power to return as messengers to the earth and announce the glorious tidings of thy advent which is near. So when we are preoccupied with the body and our pleasures and vital satisfaction, then we see everywhere pessimism and darkness. But when we are preoccupied with the divine and we discover that divine essence, we return as heralds and messengers of light because we know it is drawing closer and closer to earth and with each pang, each sorrow, each suffering that the earth undergoes and humanity undergoes, it actually, the light draws nearer and nearer. So we enjoy, it's like the same thing, that when darkness is nearer, we enjoy the fact that the sun is going to dawn, a greater dawn and a greater sun is going to arise tomorrow.
and then she closes with this marvelous words o divine master sublime friend marvelous teacher he is the master he is the friend to whom we can confide everything he is the master whom we are here to serve and he is the teacher who teaches us through silence the divine does not teach us necessarily through words he teaches us through the pregnant silence in which he pours his light his message his vision his truth and they begin to translate as words in our mind our thoughts and speech o divine master sublime friend marvelous teacher in a fecund silence i salute thee so let us salute the lord and let us salute the advent of truth